from Westside Church in Bend, Oregon. You're listening to Behind the Message. Each week we take you behind what we teach here at Westside. I'm Evan Earwicker, and I am flying solo today without my co-host Ben Fleming, and I'm here with Pastor Steve Mickle. Evan, we're going to have so much more fun without Ben here. Oh my goodness, I've been waiting months (laughs) for him to be too busy. He always asks really silly questions. (laughs) He he and I have been talking. We need to to let our fight side come out a little bit more Mm, and get into some feisty debates on this podcast. Why not? So... To prep for that, maybe we could talk about the things we don't like about Ben. <laughs> no, actually, Ben is uh, driving back from San Francisco. Picked the worst weekend all oh, winter tough. to make the drive from San Francisco to Bend. They were doing a mission trip and outreach. Yeah, uh, downtown San Francisco with the YWAM base there. Interesting. Uh, they went on Friday, drove all day Friday, spent Saturday, and then all day today coming back. So it was it, a one day kind of one yeah. day ministry trip. Yeah, we're recording this on Sunday, and that's a lot of driving. Wow, that's a lot of driving. It's a quick trip. Yeah. College yeah. students or young adults or what? young adults, yeah, twenty twenty two young adults. That's awesome. So I'm anxious to hear how that went. But uh, you started a new series. Yes, we did. Yeah, the how about way that? of Jesus. For those who haven't seen these messages, you should check out just the intro. If you don't even watch a message, watch the intro that our creative director Trevor. Oh, I thought you were talking about my message. It was a great introduction <laughs> to the series. You're no. talking about the video, the video prelude to the it's actual impressive. messages. Your messages, eh, it's okay, but the video, no, it, it's really good. Uh, he did they a really are, nice they're, job. They're very, they're, they they do it very well, and I think they are making it pretty generic now, so that other churches can use them. It's not West Side specific. Talk to us about that. The concept of partner churches and how we have kind of transitioned away from necessarily campuses into this broader model. Yeah, we really believe in resourcing. We always have, and we're still, you know, finding our way through this this arena. But I love that we can provide resources, whether they're these video spots or journals um, that we do. And the team is just the level of production and quality has gone way up over the last year and a half, two years. So very exciting. And, and you know, multi-site in, it, in and of itself for us, we determined it wasn't a good fit um, just in terms of the way we do leadership and churches and um, pastoring. And so, um, yeah, we see it now as more of a resource to existing churches rather than having everybody come under the one fold, one umbrella. Um, let's just get our stuff out there with, you know, where people can take it and use it. Yeah. What led the decision with our sister's campus to make that an independent <clears throat> church this past year? Yeah, we were excited about that. It, I, I felt, um, probably a year or so before I even talked to the, to Jerry, our pastor out there that, um, that I felt like we were gonna we were gonna launch that thing, and I'm not a high control guy. Mm. Um, and I think to be a multi site church, you have to have at least the ones I've I've talked with. They have to have a lot of centralized kind of control systems, um, so that you know, like every Starbucks, you're gonna you're gonna taste the same coffee. So in a multi-site, if you have the same brand, same name, you have to have the same experience. And that takes a lot of control, and I'm not yeah. that guy. And if you don't get the same experience, like in a Safeway Starbucks or you know the smaller ones that don't follow all those high-control yeah. guards – the customer gets a little like, "What's going on here? Yeah. This isn't what I'm expecting." No, and then and then the but the brand is uh, is affected, right? And so I'm yeah. so I'm not into brand Christianity. I'm not into brand churches. I don't mind that. I don't th- I don't sure. look at multi site churches and think, "Oh, wow, they're not doing it right." But for us, it just wasn't a fit. And I think we'll st- I think we'll do it still, Evan, to like help 
struggling churches get back on their feet mm-hmm. and then launch them a year, two, three years at the most um, after we get, we know we might, maybe we can help them get to health. Um, but to actually do multi-site long-term, it's just not in our DNA. Yeah, I was out in Sisters last week and I've noticed going out there since they've become independent, there's an excitement about being independent. However, if they had just started from scratch without, I think, being a campus first, uh, it would be missing a lot of the pieces that really are making it a strong, thriving church. Absolutely. And, I, and maybe that's too you know self-congratulatory on us, but there are some really strong points about how they do things that really they learned in that season of being a campus. Yeah, and kudos to Jerry, even more so than us, because he, he um, embraced um, a way of ministry, a way of church, um, that works for sisters. And, and then it got to a point where he was, you know, like an 18, 19, 20 year olds ready to be on their own. And, and, and of course they've kept a lot of our, of who we are, but they've adjusted some things to fit sisters. And that's the way I think churches should be led. Right. Um, because I think God gives each church, um, a specific call DNA and, uh, and, and leaders, um, that will have an, an individual expression of faith, you know? So, so kudos to them. I think it's it's really exciting. We adopted it when it was about thirty people. They approached us, um, got it back on its feet, and it's almost at three hundred now. Which is yeah. that's just one measurement. Obviously, there's a lot of other things that we can look at that show signs of health. But exciting. When we talk about counting numbers, it's the go-to metric. Yeah, it feels a little shallow. <laughs> it does, but. <laughs> Is it is it okay to count by numbers? Well, it is because people. I mean, people, um, you know, rate something in terms of value to their to their own life by showing up, and so there is something there, obviously. But anybody can draw a crowd, you know, with enough lights and special effects and whatever we do on the church thing. You know, you make the sermon series create enough. Or, hey, you do a really cool video prelude to a message. <laughs> well, you get a lot of people yeah. showing up. But yeah. the reality is, is people don't stick for those things. Right. They've got to encounter, have an encounter with God, I think, if they're going to stick in a church. And so that's what's happening out in Sisters. I think that's what's happening in any church that um, is seeing momentum is the presence of God is there. Yeah. It's almost like... A big crowd doesn't guarantee health, but health will guarantee eventually a crowd, right? People will be attracted to to a healthy People are attracted to it, and and healthy things grow, healthy things multiply, healthy things reproduce, and and that's the law of nature, and I think it's also the law of of spiritual uh, dynamic. Fungus and cancer also grow. Okay, there uh, it is. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the healthy debate. So, what things grow? Well, it depends. A lot of oh, things. That's grow. true. That's a, that would be an interesting conversation to have. <laughs> well, moving on to the uh, the series that you launched last weekend on the parables of Jesus, we call it the Way of Jesus. Uh, of course, all the New Testament really is about the way of Jesus. Why did we hone in on the parables specifically? Yeah, we were thinking about, early on, we were thinking about doing a series on the kingdom of God. That's kind of where this started. And we wanted to go to Scotland and do a whole video thing on the kingdom. And we were like, wow, that's going to take a lot of money. And that doesn't seem right. So we decided not to do that. And then we thought, well, what's second best? And we started uh, pondering this idea of the way of Jesus and the way he describes the kingdom or his way is best seen, I think, or at least most intriguingly way to see it is through the parables, his stories. Mm-hmm. And then we tuned in on Matthew 13, which has eight uh, such parables. And we thought, well, let's let's do a series on just that one chapter and unpack. It's really funny, though. You know, we're, we're trying to speak 30 minutes 
on stories that took Jesus literally 30 seconds right. uh, to tell. And we're trying to unpack, you know, <laughs> what's the deeper meaning of these parables? Well, there's usually not. It's usually one point that Jesus was trying to make, and, and that's the way of the kingdom, uh, his way. And so, I, it's yeah, I, I'm excited about seeing how this turns out. Does that make it harder in preparation for these messages because you're trying to – not fill in, but you're trying to extrapolate things that maybe Jesus didn't intend us to draw connections. And- yeah, I think it, we we struggled with that initially, Evan. But now I'm super excited. It's like, why not go? Why not go there and ask questions that maybe Jesus wasn't intending to, for us to ask? There's no there's no right or wrong to that. I don't think Jesus is like going, "Well, oh, you guys, that's not the point of the parable." Right. I think he's. I think he's. He loves curiosity. He loves our us being curious about his way and asking questions and him saying, guys, that's not what that means, you know, or, or, or leaning into it, you know? And so I think that's uh, what we're trying to do is to raise the level of curiosity to the way of Jesus. When Jesus tells these parables, a lot of people don't understand them and he doesn't intend for them to understand them. You talked about this in your message, how yeah. when he's speaking to the crowd, he doesn't explain, but he does explain it to his closest yeah, around I think out of the eight parables in Matthew 13, he explains three of them. And when he explains the three of them, it is to just the ones that followed him away from the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, but then even five of them, he doesn't say anything to them about those, even to the, his followers. So there's an interesting distinction that I think Jesus very much speaks one way to the crowd and another way to his disciples. Um, he rarely rebukes the crowd. He always rebukes the religious leaders and he occasionally rebukes his disciples. So it's very interesting to kind of see his interaction. That would be another kind of cool study at some point is just to see how he interacts with the different groups. And then when you approach a church like Westside, is it the crowd, you know, sitting out in the seats or is it the disciples or is it the religious, you know, fanatics? I think there's probably all three sitting in our seats on any given Sunday. And, uh, and so that makes it an interesting conversation to think about what would Jesus say to each of those groups of people, even on that one particular uh, message. And people, I think, want the church to be one of those groups. Some people want it to be the crowd and want things to be really accessible and, you know, evangelical in their messaging, Um, very inspirational, hope-filled, salvation-oriented. Some people want it to be very discipleship, very take me deeper than what the crowd is hearing kind of teaching. Uh, Is that okay for churches to pick one or should churches really strive to accommodate all? such a good question. I personally, and I think this is why Westside is the way it is is personally, I feel like it ha- you have to speak both to the crowd and to the core, um, both to the, to, the, to the unbeliever and to the believer, both to those who are seeking and to those who have found, or at least they think they've found. And so I think we have to, for at least for West Side, we have to keep both of those people in our mind. The religious people um, don't have a place mm. at West Side. I mean, I know that they're there, but um, um, we don't intentionally weed them out, but we're not going to play to their to their angst. Um, and that that's another maybe another whole podcast we could talk about. But that but there is definitely a, an intentionality to us speaking both to the seeker and to those um, who have chosen to believe. And I know something that's really on your heart this year is to see a thousand leaders within our church raised up and. I don't know if you'd say this way, but taken to the next level in their discipleship and leadership. That they become a disciple maker, that Mm. they take that on, that they say, you know, I'm not just, I'm not just filling up space and I'm, and I, I'm not just doing good things, which is good. I mean, we all should do acts of kindness and all of that, but, but people who say, I'm going to take on, you know, one other or 10 other 
um, guys or gals, and I'm going to disciple them in the way of Jesus. Um, I'm going to I'm going to say to them, you know, follow me as I'm following Christ. And we haven't got this whole thing figured out, but we, let's let's do this together. Um, imagine a thousand men, women, and children who decide, yeah, my life's going to be that. And I don't think it's for everybody. I think we used to like make it sound like if you're a Christian, you're you got to make disciples, and that's just like a high bar that I don't think is you can prove by the New Testament narrative. Um, but I know that there are some individuals who say yes to that calling and and lean into it. And I'm excited to see how God raises those people up. So for those listening, probably that fit that category of people in Westside who are going to be part of that thousand, but maybe aren't leading or in that capacity yet, what are you looking for this year to identify or to say, hey, you know, you need to, to step into this. What what are those characteristics or qualities that you're looking for? Yeah, one is to just self identify, um, as well as let us let let your family, your church family, know that you're in. And we'll talk more about this throughout the year. Um, we haven't given people an opportunity yet to to self identify, um, but that will be the first step to to you know have that moment like we like we lead people in a salvation call. Let's lead people into that moment where they go, yeah. Raise your hand. I'm in. I, I want to do that. I want to be that person who takes on, you know, a handful of people and disciple them. And then after that, at, at that point, we start to identify who those people are. Then let's create some resource for them. Let's create some opportunity to gather to be to be discipled in disciple making. Um, let's provide avenues like uh, ministry training institute, like uh, First Wednesday, that can be places where they can get. Um, um, discipled, equipped um, to do that work. And it's interesting, you talk about the responses for salvation. That's, I mean, that's the bread and butter of evangelical churches is a salvation call that ends with an altar call or a raise your hand moment. Right. Um, You don't see that a lot in the Bible, actually. No, no, you don't. And I'm convinced more and more, Evan, that, I mean, I got saved this morning. I mean, I recommitted my life to Jesus yeah. this morning. I, I think it's a day day by day thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I you know, um, I think it's foolish to think that you know, I, I I responded once and then everything's great and I don't have any doubt anymore. I I think um, salvation is progressive. I think it's a day by day faith decision. Today I'm going to choose to follow Jesus. Um, I don't know if I would go so far as to say, well, you can you know, you can just decide one day to stop following Jesus and that's that. I don't know, but. You know, once saved, always saved, all that conversation that some people have. But I know that salvation is an ongoing experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and that first time decision, super important, super important. So we're going to keep doing that, you know. Um, but I don't want to ever relegate, you know, the one time decision to that's the only decision we hmm. ever make to follow Jesus. So in Acts, when is it Cornelius and his whole family s- says salvation came to their house? Mm. <laughs> is that the first step that like that's the first time they comprehended maybe the work of salvation for them and received it but that's the beginning that's not yeah, a one and done like kind I was of thing. blind but now I see it was like the the veil was lifted huh. and I thought oh aha this is it this is my light bulb moment I know who Jesus is now and then Cornelius certainly was going to have to to keep struggling to believe when you know when persecution came, for instance, you know when when um, bad things happened in their life, um, you know they just have, they have to keep you know up and up their faith and going. Okay, I believe again. I'm going to believe again. Um, but yeah, that first moment when salvation came, and that's the moment. I mean, I got to be honest. I, for me, that's one of the most exciting moments in anyone's life in their spiritual journey is when they come to that first aha moment and they go, Jesus is king. Yeah. 
and that, wow, what a moment that is. And Paul writes about that, that the God of this age, the devil, has blinded the minds of those uh, who are perishing, right? Yeah. And so there's this very spiritual um, thing. It's not just a metaphor or a thought. It's the Bible talks about the devil blinding the eyes. Yep. And so this moment where they come to the knowledge of Christ, that that veil is removed. Yeah, it's a big deal. It really is a big deal. It's like it's like I came out of dark into the light. I mean, you know, and it's and it's something that we should. I think every church should, in some capacity, lean into. That goes back to this crowd idea, and then um, once they make that step, that decision, all right, let's start talking about what yeah. it means to live uh, the way of Jesus. And crazy then to talk about living the way of Jesus to people who are not having the veil lifted yet. We want to see yeah. the world fall into line with the teachings of Jesus or the way of Jesus or the morality as we see Jesus living before they really even have signed on to follow Jesus. Yeah, Is that crazy? Yeah, it's a little crazy to expect people um, to mandate even, I think the church sometimes has done, especially in American Christianity, mandate that people live the way of Jesus, his his morality, like you said, um, when they haven't even chosen to follow Jesus. But what's in, also on the flip side of that is I think we've done a fairly poor job of making the case of how compelling the way of Jesus actually is. Hmm. I mean, that, that why, I mean, why wouldn't people, because it's not about behavior. It's not about, I got to be better. It's about this. I mean, it's about the God of the universe who created it all, like showed up and wants to have a relationship with us. I mean, you know, I don't think, I don't know if we've done a very good job making the way of Jesus compelling enough for people to go, Oh, I want that. Hmm. I, I really want that way. And the way to, to live the way of Jesus is by saying yes to Jesus. And I think that, that, you know, so, so having people in our group, in our church who are like, I want to know, I want to know the way of Jesus. Um, and even before I say yes to Jesus, I think that's fair. Yeah. And when people can understand how to walk in the way of Jesus, then they are now equipped to show that off in a compelling way. Like you're saying to those who haven't signed on to this whole thing yet, yeah. uh, it's easy, I think, in the church to send people out ill-equipped to live like Jesus, and then we wonder why aren't other people? Why aren't they bringing people along? It's because those people don't want to come. Nope. Because that person hasn't, I guess, been equipped to walk in the way of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Ten years ago, I moved to Bend, started working at Westside. I was having a coffee. I was having lunch with a pastor um, from Madras. And he had young kids, so we were at McDonald's and they were playing in the playhouse, and and it was here in Bend, and we were talking about. Um, our churches. And there was a guy sitting next to us who little kid was playing at, at McDonald's Playland. And uh, he overhears us and he's like, um, and he interrupts our conversation. He says, Hey, are you from Westside? And I'm like, yeah, I'm one of the pastors there. He says, Westside is a bunch of bleep bleep. And you know, <laughs> pretty much saying bunch of hypocrites. That's the paraphrase. And, uh, and I'm like, Oh really? Oh, I didn't. I, well, I'm, I'm part of Westside too, you know? <laughs> and it was like, just is like, okay, wait, you know, people people are out there that say Westside's their home church, and are they being discipled? Mm-hmm. And rather than being offended by that comment, I was challenged by it. I was like, I wanna, I wanna help people who say Westside is their is their church right. to be to live the way of Jesus, and 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 they won't say you're hypocritical if you're living the way of Jesus. They, you know, they won't. They, they might say other things, but they, I don't think they'd say hypocritical. So anyways, I think that's the idea there is help disciple people into being more and more like Jesus. Um, and it's all a journey. I mean, it's like, 
you know, we're not going to get there overnight. Um, step at a time. Don't put too much pressure on it. You know, um, when you fall, get back up. Don't, you know, don't beat yourself. I just at a, I was just at a conference a couple of days ago talking about shame. <laughs> it was like, man, we have built the church around this idea of shame. Um, you're not good enough. Yeah. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. And people leave our churches feeling more ashamed than, then, than even when they came in. And it's like, oh, wait a second. We can't, we've got to get rid of that in our churches. And a lot of that, I think, stems from a history of religion, organized religion, using shame and guilt as a mechanism to keep people needing the church. Yep, and a way to control people. Almost uh, <clears throat> indulgences, you know, mm-hmm. how the, the church used to sell indulgences. It's like indulgences 2.0. You know, yes. if you need to be relieved of the shame that we just reminded you of, keep coming. Keep coming back. Keep filling the seat. Yeah. Uh, but that's not – we don't find that in the teachings of Jesus, do we? No, I don't think so at all. And there's and it's, it's filled with life and sacrifice and joy and hardship. And, you know, it's, it's – there, but there's never – Jesus never makes you feel like if you don't um, – if you are in a certain way, you are unloved. Right. Um, but he does challenge us to live at a higher level, um, give, give away more, um, sacrifice more. Um, but he's never. But he, it's never tied to my identity or his love for me. I mean, case in point, Peter denies Jesus three times. I mean, publicly. Like the. I mean, imagine. I mean, Jesus is on his way to the cross. I mean, he's, his desperate, most desperate moment. And Peter, like, yeah, I don't know this guy. You know, <laughs> and I mean, how bad is that? Right. And what does Jesus do? He fixes him breakfast and tells him, "Feed my sheep, man. You still got. You still have value." Yeah. You still have value to me, and man, I love you. And do you love me? You know, you asked him three times. You love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter's like, of course, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, "Let's feed my sheep. Yeah. Let's go. We've got work to do." Um, I just love that. It yeah. was this. It was there was no shame. There was no shame. And imagine if Jesus hadn't had that conversation with Peter, he would have been. He would have worked out the gospel filled with shame. Hmm. That would have been his motivator, actually. Um, and it would have filled the church with that. And sometimes I wonder if that's why the church is filled with shame is because its leaders are filled with it. Wow. Yeah. Pastor Coy this week shared in our uh, one of our meetings, I can't remember which one, we were just talking about how things are going and, and how people are feeling about our services and when we gather. And he, he brought up a good kind of exhortation or encouragement to all of us in leadership to make sure that we're leading from a place of victory and not... As the underdogs, I guess, hmm. you know, that, that it's easy, I think, to, because of the need for tension when we present who God is and what he wants to do, because you need tension, right? Yeah. It, it isn't all just, oh, everything's fine, everything's yeah. good, gloss over it. You need tension, but it's easy, I think, to lean so heavily on how bad things are. Oh, and then by the way, God is good. And really flipping the script on that mm-hmm. and saying, we don't start from a place of shame. I mean, we do start yes. from there. But when we come to Christ, it's all good news. It yeah. envelops, you know? Yeah. And so... Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, that, that's the work that the way of Jesus does is he breaks off that stuff. I mean, he breaks off shame. He breaks off addiction. He breaks off depression. He breaks off this. And, we, and so often I think we've, we, we, we think we have to just live with all of that stuff and have Jesus in our life. And rather than let the work of the way of Jesus, the work of Christ, like set us free, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I'm just, and I think that this series and even Easter following, 
um, there's a lot of victory in this. There is not, I mean, like next week I'm going to talk about the treasure and how, yeah. I mean, the kingdom is like a treasure. It's like this, I mean, it's like something of really great value, yeah. you know, and it's, I'm going to sell everything I have just so I can possess it, just so I can have it. Um, that sense of excitement and anticipation and like Corey said, victory. So many times we think of our faith or our religion as that necessary thing, like getting, you know, your license renewed on your car or something that's just a drag, <laughs> but I got to do it yeah. because that's how I get out of shame. Or, but no, it's a treasure. It, yeah. it is the prize. It's this thing of great value that deserves on its own merits, all of our attention. That's exactly right. And when you experience um, connection with Christ, that's not based on what I do, what I don't do, that he embraces me in my shame and my brokenness and in my victories, yeah. man, it, it raises me up. Mm. It was like, sets me on an, another plane, a new, a new altitude, a new way of living that um, isn't based on what I do or don't do, but it's based on how much he loves me. I'm loved. Yeah. I am loved unconditionally. Um, and that ultimately is the way of Jesus. I think that was what he was after. He wasn't after changed behavior. Um, he was after relationship. He was after connection. And when you realize that you're a son or daughter, yeah. you're part of a family that um, is broken. Sure, there's brokenness, right? But the, the head of the family is so good and he's so for us. And he's like, you know, and he's poured out so much to us that that I want to be a part of that. Yeah. So Easter's coming. We're mm. a month away. I love Easter. Easter's uh, just such a a moment for, I think, most churches. You know, it's a big day. Uh, what are you, how do you prep for that? How do you look forward to that in the life of, of leading a church? Yeah. Okay. Negative first. I, I, hate, I hate the pressure mm-hmm. of Easter in the sense like I've got to perform. We've got to, you know, put our best foot forward. I would, if I don't know if any pastors listen to this podcast, I do know some do, but I would just say, don't do that. Don't succumb yeah. to that. Don't lead that way. Don't go like, what's what special effect am I going to do this Sunday for Easter? You know, we decided a couple years ago. We said this is Easter is what we do every week, and so if they're going to come to church. Uh, they're going to see West Side for what we are all the time. It's mm-hmm. not going to. We're not going to put out the bells and whistles. Okay, we hide Easter eggs. That's the one thing that right. we do that we never do any other time of the year. <laughs> yeah. But everything else is who we are. And it took the pressure off. And 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 as a result of that, we can preach the gospel um, with confidence. Um, we're not we're not trying to manipulate anybody. We're just saying this, you know. Because we're so excited about the way of Jesus. Yeah. And so um, it's the resurrection. Oh, my gosh. We don't need to like have any special effects or a special song or a special drama. If you want to do all that, that's fine. But I, it's like we, we got the resurrection. I mean, yeah. our, our God, our king isn't dead. I mean, you know? And so um, let's lean, up, lean heavy into that and, the re- and try to help people see the power of the resurrection to my everyday living. That's the challenge because yeah. I think resur- resurrection, when we talk about resurrection, can be ethereal. It can be all, all only about heaven. One day we're all going to be resurrected. Man, I want to be resurrected today. Yeah. And if Jesus doesn't have the power to resurrect me today, I don't think he has the power to resurrect me. So let's, let's lean into that. What's the power of that? So as you can tell, I'm pretty stoked about it. <laughs> and a challenge with the resurrection because it's been – obviously it's the center of our entire faith, our entire religion. And so to bring freshness to something that is the whole point – uh, it, it's a hard, you know, I remember when the prayer of Jabez came out like 20 years ago or whatever, you know, no one really heard that. And so it was automatically, there was something like spark in it. The resurrection can feel stale. Ironically, yeah. it's the opposite of that, but it can feel 
you know, like material we've tread over so many times that it's hard to have a fresh <laughs> oh take gosh, on it. I know. I hear you. But I'm like, are you kidding? I mean, it's like, <laughs> right. I mean, it's, I mean, we don't have the Bible if we don't have resurrection. Yeah. We don't have Christianity if yeah. we don't have the resurrection. I mean, we, we've got Judaism if we don't have the resurrection. Uh, we've got Islam if you don't have the resurrection. You've got Buddhism if you don't have the resurrection. But if you have the resurrection, you have life. Yeah. And so it should be the most compelling thing we ever talk about. And, it, and it, the, 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 the dilemma or the challenge or the opportunity for churches is to help people see fresh the resurrection. Hmm. That's good. Well, we're excited about this series, excited about Easter. And by the way, I'm going to have a, a baby, hopefully, right around Easter. My uh, wife's Come due date is Easter morning, uh, which is the day yeah. after my birthday. So it's, it's going to be a, it's going to be a good week. Evan, new it's going to be life. a good week. Yeah. New life. I so, love it. That's yeah. like, if you, if you have a baby like the night before, you should preach on, on Easter Sunday. I mean, talk about how powerful you, it'll be. You know? Oh, man. I'll be a hot Dang. mess. Hot mess. It'll be the one day in my life when I'm overly emotional. <laughs> My wife gives me a hard time. I think she thinks I'm a sociopath because I, I'm pretty emotionally. Do you never cry? Uh, rarely. It's oh, been a while. Man, I probably I need to. I need we a good need cry. A, we need an Oprah moment on this podcast where we get Evan to cry. I got to make a note. I'm gonna talk to Ben. Figure something out. <laughs> Bring in some old school teacher that had a really. Yeah, I don't know life. what it would take, but I'm sure somebody <laughs> could get me there. I don't know. Anyway, well, check out this whole series. Please follow along. If you're not listening to our messages, this is a good one to jump in on the way of Jesus. You can listen to our messages at westsidechurch.org. And of course, always follow up with our podcast anywhere you get your podcasts or at behindthemessage.com. We'll be back next week with Pastor Bo as she talks about part two of the series.